For almost 2,000 years, the Catholic Church has pointed the way toward salvation through Jesus Christ. For each of us, that journey starts in darkness, as in a cave. We invite you now to join us as we seek wisdom and truth by way of faith and reason with your guides, Mark Tuttle, Timothy O'Donnell, and Joseph Tomasian. Join us in the Catholic Cave. Welcome once again to the Catholic Cave. I'm Kent Blanford in the cave with me. Three of your favorite troglodytes, Mr. Timothy O'Donnell, Mr. Joseph Tomasian, and Mr. Mark Tuttle. Gentlemen, what is beauty? Oh, wow. You threw out a bombshell to start us off. <laughs> there we go. Yeah. yeah. I, well, I, definitions are helpful. Yeah. I, I like lobbing grenades and seeing what happens. So <laughs> there's it's both true and good, right? right there is right. your verbal grenade for the day. Run with it. Yeah. <laughs> well, you it. know, you know, so beauty is one of the, the three transcendentals. You have truth, goodness, and beauty. And those are uh, attributes of being. So we could do a whole show on metaphysics, getting into uh, what attributes of being really means. But uh, of those three, um, and they're, they're kind of coextensional, right? So the, the, the idea is that, that everything has a certain truth to it. Everything has a certain goodness to it. And everything has a certain beauty to it. But of those three, I'd say beauty is probably the uh, the most neglected. Would you seriously? I, I would say that beauty is the one that's most touched upon the most, well, it, because it incites passion and romance and 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 desire and lust and and all the things that drive what it means to be human. I guess. I mean. You know, I say touched upon, I, I, I guess more from a philosophical sense, but you're right. It's probably the most accessible, right? Because everybody knows what beauty is when they see it, right? Well, you know, they, they do say there, there's no disputing taste. So, you know, I, I think that one would be, uh, <laughs> right. you know, you know I, that, that one's up in the air. I think that's always the big question around beauty. Is it a, uh, is it a subjective experience or is it a, uh, is it an objective quality of oh, objects? So, yeah, you know, I think that's, does beauty exist in itself? Right. Sure. Yeah. Do, do objects actually contain beauty within right, them or, right. uh, or is that, is that our reaction to I, them? I think mathematically we can demonstrate it, you know, the golden ratio. Yeah, there's the golden ratio, and I think you're right. That so, so you know, the idea there is that there there's a uh, a perfect geometry, and and everybody kind of recognizes that it's symmetry. And, and they, you know, if 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 something's off, I mean, you know, that that comes from the Greeks. The 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 Chinese have a similar concept of mm. feng shui. You know, that the the things have to be arranged a, a particular way to give off. I think they they talk of it more in terms of energy than beauty, but you know, to give off the per, the a particular feel where you feel comfortable and mm -hmm. at home, etc. Things have to be arranged in a uh, a particular way, and there have to be set set ratios, etc. So, I mean, people do kind of kind of recognize that. But on the other hand, if you go to an art museum and you look at paintings and you try to you know pick out which paintings are beautiful, which ones are yeah. not, you know, people are, people are going to discuss that all day long. It, it, if you, if you want to have a discussion as to whether, you know, beauty is an absolute reality, I think the art museum is the last place you could go in order to, to well, argue depends that. which one or what exhibit, you know, it's <laughs> what Von Balthazar says, uh, if, if I look at art and I don't understand what it is, it's not art. Right. I, I remember, uh, gosh, it had to be a half dozen years ago or more now. The IMA hosted an exhibit of Baroque, uh, Spanish Baroque mm -hmm. artwork. Sure. And of course, it was all very Catholic and, and things like that. Naturally. And, and so 
That was in Stark. So you walked into that, you know, sort of that area of the IMA, and your I was immediately struck by the beauty of it because there were like paintings of the Immaculate Conception and things like that. Right. Um, but but you're right though. You kind of wander. You simply take a couple of steps into the next room, and then I was completely <laughs> perplexed. Like I had no idea what uh they what, you know what what i was looking at or or the sure. meaning or yeah. i couldn't i couldn't decipher it and i think one of the problems we face it's it's i think it's similar to one that comes up with uh with uh, uh the other transcendentals truth for example is you look at beauty on the one hand it seems very subjective because um there's such a wide variety mm-hmm. from person to person and across locations and cultures that one begins to see there's so much there's so much variety that it it must be it, it seems like it must be just an individual decision right. right or an individual response to it and so that and then that be, but that makes it so that makes it seem difficult to to point to no uh, beauty is objective but but the, one of the counter arguments i would say Beauty must have, there must be something we can identify and hold in common because you can major in things like art. You can't, and sure. art history and things like that. So there there are principles, and the same could be said for uh, music, right? There are, there's such a variety. Music is a sphere of taste, but there's also, you have to, study music theory and thing and 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 things like that in order to produce and there's there's agreement among those who are knowledgeable on the subject yeah. about what constitutes uh some magnificent things that are truly things that, are, that we can point in here are beautiful well, well there there there's agreement to an extent but yeah to an extent but then there's always i mean there will but where always does the be definition exist right well there, there, there's a definition but but it's not like you're going to ever be able to pinpoint the most beautiful uh, work of music right no no well, but I mean, you can catalog I, I think you can you can catalog a hundred things that that people would say in music there you could find great agreement on like the a hundred great um, works of music. But I think you will, could, but there will always be there will always be well informed. I mean, people who have studied well informed critics that will disagree completely with that list. Yeah, but some will be wrong eh. and some will be right. Right. Yeah, I know, so, right. So, well, if, exactly. If, 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 if we jump into that's this why it topic, seems subjective and not objective, but it is sure. objective. But if we're talking about a transcendental here, uh, there are there are absolute definitions of what these things are. All right, I, I may not know all of them. So we've stated previously that truth is that which conforms to reality, and goodness is that which exists within proximity to God, God being the source of all goodness. So the further away from God you get, the less good a thing is. But how do we define beauty? If we're use, utilizing and if we're defining our terms, what does it mean to be beautiful? Well, I'll jump in with a dictionary definition and see if it works for us as Catholic philosophers. Okay, uh, beauty. It's a combination of qualities such as shape, color, or form that pleases the aesthetic sense, especially the Mm. sight. I, I already don't like oh, it because it jumps yeah. right into the accidents of the object, and and also the, the the privileging of sight within beauty, I think, is is a a very modern bias. Okay, here's the second here's the second part. So okay. like most, it, it goes on right. So another would be 
A con of beauty, no another definition would be beauty. It's a combination of quality that pleases the intellect or moral sense. Mm. Right. So I think that's we're, getting closer. We're subjective yeah. arbiters of right. what beauty is. And I, I still don't think that's... That's a quality definition. Well, I think there's, I, you know, you said that was Kant's, uh, Kant's definition there? No, Kim? that is Webster's. That is Webster's <laughs> definition. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, there, there's obviously an objective quality to it, but I don't think our, our minds ever, I, I, I think when, you know, when you look at something and you're able to kind of definitively say, okay, that's an apple, right? Sure. Um we, the beauty of that apple is, is lost. And that's why you have paintings of apples mm. that come across as more beautiful than real apples. I'm going to throw something out there. I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying very quickly to, to come up with a, uh, a working definition of what beauty is. It, it, just to, just to start us out. What if beauty is an object's uh, capacity or, or, uh, the living out of, of the fullness of, of its of its nature. So when a thing is the thingiest that the thing can be, it is a beautiful thing. Yeah, I mean we we, we talk about beauty in, in that way, like like a beautiful horse, mm -hmm. right? So it's oh yeah, that's that that's a beautiful horse right. because it, it 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 fits the uh, the ideal of of what a horse should be. Very platonic, yes. Very platonic, and and yet there's there's ways to to portray horses that seem to get at the beauty of a horse even more than what you would kind of say the ideal of a horse is, right? Because an ideal horse is going to be built to be able to pull things. It's going to be able to run fast. Mm -hmm. It's going to be able to, um, to, to do those things. And when we're talking about the beauty of a horse, sometimes even it being able to fulfill what it's supposed to do precisely makes it not as beautiful as it could be. Right. So I, I'm not, I'm not quite sure there, you know, the, uh, Tim's definitions of touching on the the qualities, the mm -hmm. the um, the the sensible, tangible qualities of a thing, I definitely think gets gets closer to it. Then the, how can we look at a sunset if that's the case and say, "Wow, that is beautiful"? Well, because we, you're because you're you're perceiving the colors of sure. it, you're perceiving the different mixtures of of that kind of goes that. To that first definition. Yeah, yeah. I, I will say uh, Aristotle um, points to kind of three things when it comes to beauty. And that is order, symmetry. I love that. And definiteness. Okay. Like it's like you can tell what it is, right? Sure. If it's it's defined. Well, I've never met Mother Teresa, but and I'm sure that, that perhaps you guys have not either. But we can look at her, who may not have been physically attractive, uh, and say she was a beautiful woman. The quality of her soul, the quality of her character, made her beautiful. Yeah. Now, and, and that goes against all the definitions we just heard. Right. But I think you're, I think beauty is being used in an analogical sense there. There, there you're talking about goodness. You're, you're talking about that. She was a, a good woman. Am I though? And, and you're, you, you're using, you're using that term to describe her soul. There's an so, attraction, you know, people want to be around good people because they, they, they emit a, a, a Christ-like beauty. Sure. Sure. Good. Goodness is, goodness is attractive. But like I said, I think beauty in that sense is being used analogically. Okay. Okay. Well. And with that, we're going to take a break. We'll be back with more of the Catholic Cave on Catholic Radio Indy right after this. 
is such an encouragement and enriching to my own Christian walk. It brings me a great deal of peace. It kept me grounded when I felt like everything else was falling apart. I really am blessed whenever I listen. Catholic Radio Indy. At Catholic Radio, we love to hear from you. Call us anytime. Just recently, we found this message on our voicemail. I'm a non-Catholic that listens to your Catholic radio station, and I just want to thank you guys. I listen to uh, Catholic Answers and Al Christa sometimes, and I think her name's Teresa Tommy. I listen to her and uh, another show or two. I appreciate it. Call us at 317-870-8400 and let us know what you're thinking. I just called to say, even though I'm not a Catholic, I listen to your station. Welcome back to the Catholic Cave. I'm Mark Tuttle here with Joseph Tomasian, Tim O'Donnell, and we are talking today about beauty. And we, we, we have been stumbling around looking for a definition. And I will, I will throw this out that, you know, we, we've talked about it being, you know, an objective set of qualities that are pleasing to the senses, etc. The pleasingness adds an element of subjectivity mm-hmm. to it right there. But also, I think um, when, when you're talking about beauty and you're talking about something beautiful, there's a sense of meaning that it conveys, right? You, you'd brought up the a beautiful sunset. Sure. And part of what makes a beautiful sunset is honestly the, the emotions and, and meaning that it, it evokes, right? And, and it's nondescript a lot of times when, when you're talking about a beautiful object or a beautiful scene or a beautiful, particularly music, right? You're talking about beautiful music and it, and it evokes a certain emotion, a certain feeling. Um, and I would say probably a feeling that goes a little deeper than just an emotional reaction to it. So let me synthesize what you're saying here, because what I'm hearing is that, that beauty, while it, it, it incites a response. It's not because it's it's the individual who uh, becomes the arbiter of that, but more more so that beauty itself reveals something hidden, something mysterious, something more than the object itself. So beauty, like truth and goodness, are pointing to something else and revealing the mystery of of what of what that thing is, and so. When that beauty is revealed, when it's opened up, when the mystery is is when the curtain is lifted, uh, the individual recognizes the mystery behind it, and and that's what incites the emotion. Is that what I'm hearing from yeah, you? Yeah, yeah. I think anybody that enjoys going to an art museum and and abstract art, I think, does this just as well as as art that's about you know a particular object or a particular person or something. Mm. Um, but there's a meaning behind the, the the paintings that you're looking at at an art museum, and when you when you stand there and and you look at it, part of it is that communication. It's that communication of what that artist has embedded in that artwork that they're trying to communicate. And so a painting that uh, like a still life, let's, mm-hmm. let's say there's a still life of like a, a dog and a hunting gun sure. and a, a pheasant there and it's on a table and it's all nice. You know, it, it, it's a still life about hunting, but embedded even within that, the way it's portrayed, the way it's painted, the way it's put together, it, there's a personal meaning that the artist has embedded within that artwork that they're trying to convey. And, and beauty... Sometimes that will miss the mark, and you can say, "Well, yeah, that painting didn't quite work." Um, but and and so maybe there's an objective criteria of how that's communicated. Mm. But what's communicated? I'm going to say there's a certain subjective element to what's communicated within art and artwork. Well, one of my uh, one of my favorite artists is 
Norman Rockwell. And I, when I think of his paintings, which I think are really accessible to, to, to us, right? When you mm-hmm. think about Norman Rockwell paintings, what it does seem to be pointing to part of what I think he's conveying are things that go beyond what's in the picture. He's often, but he's often depicting things that we would rec- that we recognize as good to tie back to another transcendental, such as the goodness of what family life, the goodness of um, the ordered life. You see depictions of what seem to be um, uh, community, um, the um, pursuit of friendships. Uh, the love that can be found in family settings, like a th- like his th- uh, like one of his portraits of a Thanksgiving meal, and you see that. And but also, I would say he points to American traditions with a small t and customs and things that we find that we ho- tend to have uh, until maybe recently sure. we've generally held in common as things that unite and bring us together. Because a fourth transcendental that we don't bring up that much is also one, right? The unity, unity of things. And so I think Norman Rockwell is a, for me, is a good example of someone who can be, at least as an American, maybe it doesn't, maybe it doesn't play as well internationally, but as an American, his, his artwork does begin to point to things that are really beautiful because, or evoke things that are really beautiful in our experience and our imagination that kind of point to, that are on one hand, both a common experience, but also idealized. Yeah. But you know, an essay could probably describe those things better than a Norman Rockwell painting would. No, and I'll tell you why. <laughs> I'll tell you why. Because the most powerful of the five senses, this goes back to Aristotle, is sight. So of all your five senses, mm. the sight is by far the most powerful. And so something in written form, um, I, I would say pound for pound, won't equal or surpass something that we can see. Oh, I don't know about that. Because if you have a, uh, I don't know, let's say Les Miserables, right? Beautiful, beautiful French novel. I, I, I would, it would be hard for anybody to disagree that that is a beautiful story. And it was oh, put, together as, put together as a musical. So, you know, you, you've got, um, you know, musicals, I think, are uh, Nietzsche would have called this the Gesamtkunst, right? Yes. It's the all-encompassing art art form there. And I think film in some way has surpassed what, what he portrayed That's opera excellent as. excellent way to throw in but, German. Um, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but um, the... Um, but I think, you know, th- there's a beauty that can be held within literature, within within telling a story that would encompass, you know, as much, if not more than a painting would. So, yeah, I, I do agree. Eyesight is definitely li- privileged, but, yeah. but it's certainly not. I, I would not even say it's the it's not even the privileged mode of artwork right now. The privileged mode of artwork I would say is, is storytelling through film. That's, that's where most people, I think that's the historical uh, means of, of uh, passing beauty, you know, through, through the narrative of one's culture, you know, storytelling, it's the oldest form of art, right? right. The Kalevala. And and, and that's, uh, that's auditory, right? Sure. You know, so that, that, that's not, that, that, that's not, so I'm not sure that, yeah, eyesight is, is somewhat privileged in, and I, I think it's probably more privileged by moderns than it was by medieval and, and ancient. No, Aristotle said it. Um, but um, so yeah. if if we're all if if there seems to be this this desire to move towards these transcendentals of truth, goodness, and beauty, beauty uh, in, in my understanding, at least taking the most basic but and primal form of the transcendentals. 
what happens when one goes too far for their desire uh, for these transcendentals? Go too far for a desire for truth. Go too far for a desire for beauty. I'm not sure I understand. I mean, how can how can you go too far for a desire for for, oh, for the transcendentals? Sure. Yeah. So uh, in in this, I guess what I'm what I'm trying to get to is when one has has an ordered desire for truth, goodness, and beauty, uh, one, one's life is, is ordered and, um, in sync with, with the way one lives with Christ in Christ. But when you take that desire, uh, and, and, and it becomes disordered, uh, well, we have, we've got a $10 word of concupiscence, concupiscence. Yeah. Concupiscence and also gluttony, right? Sure. I mean, you know, if, if, if beauty is portrayed through the senses, which mm-hmm. is, well, I guess that's kind of a working hypothesis sure. we're dealing with here. Um, and then a disordered, attraction to that a disordered obsession with that mm-hmm. would be would be you want to dominate right and you know actually i think that actually leads in a productive way of trying to get it at what beauty is when when you look at taste right mm-hmm. uh, like gustatory taste sure um you know you can put a plate of a steak juicy wonderful steak in front of barney the dog and yeah, Barney the Wonder Dog. Barney, you bet. Barney, he would love and, that, and by Barney the way. And Barney the Wonder Dog would love it, but he would slurp that thing up in two seconds. Yes, right. he would. He, he would, doesn't even chew, really. He wouldn't even <laughs> chew it. He would swallow it whole, right. and, and he would have no real... You know, to, to say that he enjoyed the steak would be a very different experience yeah. than how we would enjoy this. Right. We would savor yeah. it. We would, we would try to experience that. And there's something about the experience of beauty that, that you try to kind of make last, right? Yeah. You don't mm-hmm. want to eat there's that There's a difference between a consuming and enjoying. Right, exactly. Okay. And so the, the recognition of beauty involves a certain enjoyment and mm-hmm. it involves a certain enjoying and a certain lingering, right? You can't consume beauty. Um, and the, interesting the, the way you can consume, you know, even, even visually you can consume something, right? I can look at, I can because look at a truck to in front of means me. to destroy. Well, yeah, to consume means to destroy, but I can look at a truck and I can see that it's a pickup truck mm-hmm. and I can quickly recognize that it's a pickup truck. And that's the end of the experience pickup right, truck. Right. Um, but if I wanted to take an aesthetic view of that pickup truck, my view would linger on it. I would look at the, 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 the contours of it, the shape of it, the way it was compacted, um, the way it was constructed. And, and I would, I would analyze it in a way that I wasn't trying to get at what it was, but I'm simply trying to enjoy the experience of looking at that truck. And, um, so I, there, there's a certain enjoyment and a lingering and a, and a sort of lasting and, and desire to have that experience last over a period of time that deals with beauty that just sucking down a steak doesn't, doesn't quite capture. It's the difference between looking at the flower and plucking the flower. You know, as soon as you try to take the flower for yourself, it begins to die. It's, you have, you have taken it for yourself. You have destroyed uh, the potential for that flower to continue. Right, and I would even go so far as to say the beauty in the flower is not the fact that it's a flower, right? The beauty in the flower is your experience of it that goes around, maybe above, beyond, sort of in in between. It, it lingers over the flower to enjoy the flower 
But once you kind of look at that flower as just simply, oh yeah, that's a flower. You know, I, I always hate it when, when you go to a botanical garden. It's nice to know what the species are, mm-hmm. but they always have the, the, you know, the Latin names of, of whatever species of flower it is there. I always hate that because it almost destroys the aesthetic experience because now instead of enjoying the color and beauty and, and of the flower, now you're looking at it for it's been what that thingified. flower is. It's, it's been yeah. made into, right, exactly. And now you know what it is, right? right. And once you right. know what it is, the aesthetic experience it of it is a little bit mystery. destroyed. Right, yeah. exactly. So would you say that the difference between, well, an ordered, uh, an ordered love of beauty and a disordered love of beauty would be the, the aesthetic appreciation of? which we would call the ordered or or the consuming of which we would call the disordered so there's a very there's a very well there's a good place for consuming right mm-hmm. i mean um you know there there there's a you don't want to just look at the steak right i mean and the purpose <laughs> like I mean, you when, you, when you when <laughs> when you look at the purpose of the steak right the the, the purpose of the steak is not the to flavor and taste of it. The, mm-hmm. the purpose of the steak is to nourish your body, right? right. That, that's why it's there. Whether you suck it down or whether you, you know, your digestion might suffer a little bit if you if you eat it too fast. But really, as far as the nutritional value of it, how much you enjoy that steak, it doesn't really have have much of a, a difference there. So, but I would say a disordered a disordered obsession with aesthetic, I think, is that desire for that experience right I that's mean, our whole 21st century culture exactly. is a disordered obsession uh, with, with aesthetics right yeah. it's it's that it's that it's that desire for that experience that you put above living within the real world right i think right. when you have a disordered obsession with beauty you wind up living sort of in a, a fantasy world to a certain extent and we need to take a break we'll be back taking a look and exploring the concept of beauty on the catholic cave You're listening to The Catholic Cave on Catholic Radio Indy. You're listening to Catholic Radio Indy, converting the culture to Christ through radio, featuring 100% Catholic programming 24-7. Do your friends a favor. Tell them about Catholic Radio Indy. For a long time, we've been telling you that if you have an Echo Dot or other smart speaker device, you can hear Catholic Radio Indy simply by saying, Alexa, play Catholic Radio Indy. Just the other day, I did that, and Alexa was feeling a bit argumentative. I'll let you hear my conversation with her. Uh, Alexa, where are you? Here I am. What do you want? Alexa, play Catholic Radio Indy. Now, just why would you want me to do that? Well, because we've got great programming 24 hours a day. Well, a lot of other radio stations have good programs, too. Yeah, but our programming talks about God and eternal salvation. I am very smart. I know almost everything about everything. But I do not know about God and salvation. Well, that's why people need Catholic Radio Indy. So, Alexa, do me a favor. Whenever anyone says, Alexa, play Catholic Radio Indy, just send them our way, would you? Yes, I will be happy to do that. In the meantime, I am going to do some research about that thing you called salvation. I wonder where I can find out more about that. You can hear the Holy Mass every day at 8 a.m. right here on Catholic Radio Indy. Welcome back to the Catholic Cave in the Cave. It is Joseph, Mark, and Tim, and of course, oh, almost forgot our trusty sidekick, Kent Blanford, and we've been talking about beauty, and so in this segment, let's pick up on, I think we're trying to, is there a distinction between aesthetic experience, and are there object, we were talking a little bit about there might be, there are objective qualities to beauty, 
Um, but what happens? Let me throw this one out to you guys. What happens if, um, or what do you make of this? I, I'm a, I'm in a, in a setting in the, say, the mountains, the Rocky Mountains. I'm watching that beautiful sunset, um, but I don't think it's beautiful. Like it doesn't, it doesn't do anything for <laughs> no, me. Nobody has ever said that, Tim. No, I, I don't know anybody who's ever looked at a sunset and said, like "Oh, going, eh. that's hideous." I, I, well, no, I would say I'm, a, I'm indifferent to. It. Like yeah, I, I don't really care. I, you know, like, I care. Above My the, kids don't I, really yeah, care. Exactly. That's what I was going to say. I think you you've got to qualify that. Say anybody above the age of eight, maybe. But you know, you get a you get a young kid and and you try to point out a, a beautiful sunset to them. Some kids might have a, a, an, a, an aesthetic appreciation appreciation of it. But mm. honestly, an aesthetic appreciation, you have to have a certain amount of experience, I think, okay. to, to, to sort of develop a, or education. A, and we call that right? a sense of taste, right? I mean, you know, if, if you go through a if you go through an art museum and there's beautiful works of art, you had mentioned Caravaggio, right? Mm-hmm. If somebody looks at a, a Caravaggio painting and they go, eh, you would say that person has no taste, right? Say, what's wrong with this? Nobody's right. ever looked at a Caravaggio and said, eh, it's okay. Uh, oh, I, I'd I, rather I, look at the Van Eyck. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm sure people have. I'm, I'm sure there are people that, that, that have. And, and yeah, we would we would say, yeah, you, you, you have no taste. Now, the question is, okay, so if, if people have different tastes, right? So mm-hmm. some, some people do like Van Eyck. Otherwise, he wouldn't be in museums, uh, right? It, and, it, objectively, he does very good work. But if you put, you know, Rembrandt, and Van Eyck next to each other. They're both from the Lowlands. I don't think anybody, and both considered masters, but one of them has a quality to it that is far superior in in, in expressing the beauty behind it, and that's going to be Rembrandt every single time. Right, right. But you know, a young kid might say, "But I think that lady's pretty." Looking at looking at a Van Eyck, right? sure. I, I think that lady's pretty. That that kid has not developed artistic taste, right? right? So so they don't know. So they're they're looking at it and just going, "Yeah, but but I I think that lady's pretty," um, and so. So that's their sort of, I, I guess, growing aesthetic experience. But it takes it takes time to be able to recognize the quality between a Caravaggio and a Van Eyck. And some people may never get there. Right. Yeah, that's true. And we would say they have bad taste. Yeah, bad taste. Or there's something missing. There's something lacking. And what might be lacking is in their educational formation. Mm-hmm. So um, off, I don't know if it's still the case, but... Uh, often you would find in curricula, maybe in high school, maybe maybe sooner, uh, earlier, would be things like a music appreciation class or an art class. And these are often now in the, the era of STEM curriculum are often uh, you know, vanquished yeah. at art, the expense of doing more chemistry. Yeah. yeah, art appreciation, things like that that, that begin to what? convey some of the some of the basic building blocks behind the right i would call it science there's a there's a there's a kind of knowledge T- that goes you, along teaches with you beauty. what to look at and, and it teaches you what kinds of things go into making a beautiful painting or a beautiful um, piece of music or, or things but that all that being said part of the point of taste is to to dispute it right i mean sure. part of part of the point is that discussion and the more educated people you have probably the better disagreements you have well, right I, I think what Art, I, I, I just I don't like the idea of art appreciation as as the means by which one can recognize beauty in art, because if you have to be taught how to appreciate beauty, then beauty is not 
a subjective experience. It's a learned experience. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Then it becomes objective. And I would say if you if you if you had like the best curriculum in the world for art appreciation and you put everybody through it, I think you would increase the disagreement mm-hmm. about beautiful, ideally, you would increase the disagreement about beautiful artworks, not not decrease it, not to where we all agree and we can all vote and say that painting is the most beautiful. If you had a proper curriculum, there would be massive disagreement about what constituted the most beautiful piece of art and it would be well argued right you'd, sure. you'd have you'd have experts that would be able to say no 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 you you have no taste i disagree i think first you would do is i would think think of it i would think of it as like the, a, a a tree a trunk and then the branches and leaves first one ought to be formed in the basics and fundamentals the principles of beauty mm. there you're going to find there you should find agreement on what it means to have for uh, a, an object of art, for example, to possess orderliness or symmetry. So those things, those principles, those should be, those should have universal agreement. And then it's from those that you then branch out like a tree, going out to the branch of leaves. Once you're schooled in the fundamentals, then you, then you have a platform by which you can, so the intellectual and moral formation around beauty and then from which you can argue disagreements. If you start with disagreements, all you have is chaos. And I would say then you're what you're really going to do is you're going to have uh, people saying, well, this this uh, depiction of this uh, massacre has uh, est- the same aesthetic quality. You can't really make you won't be able to make the important differentiations between good, better and best if you're unable to convey basic moral and intellectual formation around aesthetics so that that has to be job one well I guess. the the ancients would i i would say right away disagree with that reality you know there there was a certain beauty to war you know you, you're pointing to a massacre the, the beauty of the war experienced by the soldiers in antiquity which is why war in in latin is bellum right beautiful there there's there's a certain beauty in in chaos that the soldiers experienced. I have no idea how we got there, but to to there. Well, they they don't celebrate the chaos; they celebrate the orderliness of it. Well, but but the painting Guernica, right now, there's a depiction of a massacre, mm. and I would say it's a beautiful depiction of a massacre. Okay, um, you know it, it it and and there is no order to it. It is very chaotic because that's what war and massacre is right it portrays it in a in a way that i think captures the horror of the moment better than photographs or pictures of dead bodies or or things like that would but it is anything but what you would call an orderly non-chaotic i mean basically picasso broke all the rules making this beautiful picture i think that genius to a certain extent when you look at a true work of genius and you ask any expert they go, yeah. How did they do that? Because that it doesn't make sense because they broke all the rules in doing it. So, but, but see, there's you use the word agreement, and that goes back to my point. There cannot be agreement until you have fundamental principles 
by which you are, you have already committed to. That's the that's how you reach agreement. So there's got to be but, something but, intrinsic in the individual that they can all agree upon that's moving them towards. Right. And I would say the great masters, right. the great masters break those principles and don't follow those principles, and that's what make them beautiful. If somebody well, just if somebody just made a painting according to the principles of good painting, my contention is it would be boring. It'd be like a paint by numbers right. type of type of construction. It, it, there would be nothing beautiful about it. I don't know. Well, Bob Ross did a fine job in his in his illustrations of nature, yeah. and it's quite paint by well, numbers. Well, see, Ask. I'm not sure. I would say Picasso, for example. I wouldn't say he's he's a great artist. I would say he's popular. I wouldn't call him great. Or Dolly. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, there's a difference. And I would say this: if you use the word, if again, if you go go back to oh. used a few times, master, mm-hmm. you're pointing to someone that's in a particular elite category. What qualifies someone as a master? There again, I'll go to: there are principles behind the term that you have that you're making use of in order to call someone a master. You know what? I I, I agree with you. I, I don't know that I would. When I look at a Picasso or a, a Jackson Pollock or uh, Salvador Dali, I, I don't think that they exude beauty at all. I right. think I think they exactly. They, I think they incite That's emotion. That's my point, right? I, and, and, they're evoking something. Yeah, I agree, it, it, but it, it would fall outside aesthetic to their, to their zeitgeist. I don't but know. I I, I I I don't know that I'm going to put. Monet. You're not going to put Rembrandt uh, up uh, against yeah. Picasso. No. no. <laughs> yes, I agree. Right. Now, now let me ask. So the Mona Lisa, right? right. We, we've all looked at the Mona Lisa, right? Aesthetically, it's got a, a certain quality. Would you say that is the most beautiful painting? Not at all. Not at all. It's I agree. boring. Right. It's boring. But and there's it, something to it. There is something to it. I will, I will say there there is a beauty to it, definitely. Mm-hmm. But, sure. but, but. It follows all the rules, right? Yes. Monet. You brought up Monet. Do you oh, find yeah. Monet particularly beautiful? Exceptionally. Exceptionally beautiful. He breaks. If, if you want to paint something with exactness, a landscape the mm-hmm. way Bob Ross would, right? Sure. He breaks all of Bob Ross's rules. All of them. All of Bob Ross's rules. Who was the dude with you... the big hair that's on Bob PBS? Ross. Okay, that's okay. Bob Ross. Okay, that's I was wondering. Okay, okay. Right. I, I was enamored by right. watching so, that show so there's on something, PBS. <laughs> there, there's something about being able to take those rules and make them your own and being able to manipulate the rules and, and put them to your own services to portray something that you want to portray that goes above and beyond what those rules would allow for that makes somebody a genius at their art. Okay. Well, one might, one, I would agree with that, that in principle. That, that to me is how you get a Mozart. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, right. Mozart, to be but, sure. But right. that's, but there's a big difference between Mozart and a chimpanzee at a keyboard. Oh, of course. <laughs> okay? Of course. No, and so there is, right. there is a, there is a way in which you can overextend this. And I would say it's not, you're do, making up, you're making up new rule. You're, you're adding to, right. It's a, it's a development of the rules. Correct. If you, if you break the rules in, in a radical sense and dispense with them entirely, you, you have moved into a different category that may or may not fall uh, or meet the meet. Uh, I would say the objective qualifications of something like beauty. So is beauty something that can develop over time? Can we have progressively more and more beautiful objects that are created? Well, I I, I think it's beauty's like conscience. The more it's developed, the more experience it gets, the more uh, it matures, the greater appreciation that the individual can have 
with but when you're talking about beautiful objects you're talking about things that are created mm-hmm. right so it's it's not just a it, it's not just a matter of appreciating so the thing uh, in itself can, can something itself, get more beautiful right can 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 we create more and more beautiful objects can can beauty itself you, develop or you could discover you can discover beauty too in ways that you haven't seen or so, so been then, made aware of before so then is is beauty like undiscovered at this point i mean are we like no i think we fully discovered it but i I don't think we're gonna be able to fully appreciate it until we are fully actualized right and and are we going to be able to fully reproduce it fully create it until we're fully as a transcendental i would say no not in this not in this life Right. right so then doesn't that somewhat make it subjective it has a subjective element to it in that it's evocative you're the my my response to it is subjective. The but, object itself, the the qualities itself, are objective. So so we just said that Mozart was able to to take music and the rules of music and make it his own. So that it was something that was particular that that was conveying meaning that that came from him. But well, that's not subjective. I'll use it. I'll use another quick analogy and then we'll take a break. Michael Jordan, I, I'll argue, is the best basketball player that ever lived. He didn't change the rules of basketball. He played within the rule book every single time, but yet he evolved, developed what it meant to play it well. And I think that's what real artists do. They stay within certain uh, within a certain kind of playbook, but they are able to develop it and take it to the next level. And with that, we'll take a break. We'll be back with more on the Catholic Cave right after this. When you're tired of doing life alone, come back here. We enjoy the company. We hope you do too. Better. Together. Catholic Radio Indy. This might be a little difficult, so I'm going to ask you to help me out a little. I'm supposed to mention the word monthly at least 10 times during this announcement. So I'm wondering if you could do me a favor and count them for me to be sure I get them all in. You see, it's important that I mention monthly because monthly gifts are so important to us here at Catholic Radio Indy. Of course, we appreciate one-time gifts too, but monthly gifts really help us a bunch because just like at your home or business, our bills arrive monthly too. And because we have a studio location and three transmitter sites, we get four monthly power bills and four monthly utility bills. Well, you get the idea. So if you can help us by starting a monthly gift, we'd really appreciate it. It's easy to do. Just visit our website, catholicradioindy.org, and click on the Donate button, then choose Monthly. And if you're already a monthly donor, well, thank you very much. Did I get all 10 monthlies in? I lost track somewhere along the way. Welcome back to the Catholic Cave. I'm Joseph Tomasi, and here with Mark Tuttle and Timothy O'Donnell, and we are discussing qualities of beauty. What makes something beautiful? What does beauty point to? And I want to throw something out here for you, gentlemen. In sacred scripture... See, he said gentlemen. <laughs> I know. I fooled them all. In sacred scripture, anytime somebody experiences the demonic or the angelic, they have fairly consistent behavioral patterns. Now, whenever the demonic are experienced, they sort of dismiss them, throw them off. You know, they seem very tangible, very imminent, very uh, uh, real... But whenever somebody experiences the divine, the angelic, uh, they have these fear patterns. Now, the fear doesn't exist uh, around the demonic. It, it exists around the angelic. Now, in any sort of sacred art piece that we see, 
Anytime you see a picture of, of Satan or his devils, they are grotesque and scary. And anytime you see a picture of the angels, they have this sort of androgynous feminine quality to them. They seem uh, gentle and soft and, uh, and, and, and more approachable. And, and that's just not what we hear in sacred scripture. And so we have this idea of beauty and then in sacred scripture, there's a fear associated to it. But on the other hand, the thing that we should fear, sacred scripture says that people had a very interactive relationship with it. And I think it really points to something when we talk about the qualities of beauty. Beauty incites these very visceral feelings of, of fear. Now, let me use a mundane experience and it's not fear per se, but it's this, it's this quality of respect that makes you want to avert your eyes. And I think that for most people we have this experience of seeing a beautiful woman and you look and you have to look away. The beauty is intense or uh, you experience the goodness of someone. You know, I, I don't know that I would feel comfortable sitting next to Mother Teresa the entire time with somebody so good, right? The goodness of, of this person or, you know, the, the pain of truth revealed. So there seems to be this, this with these transcendentals, there seems to be this, this prick to it. And I'm wondering, what is that? Yeah, you know, I don't know if those are all the same experiences, you know? I mean... When you are listening to a beautiful piece of music, right? Mm -hmm. um, it makes you cry. Yeah, it makes you cry, right? There, there's or or actually, it makes you feel the appropriate emotion, right? Sure. I mean, you know, if I mean, I think one of the most beautiful pieces of of, of music, in, in my opinion, is is Dvorak's American String Quartet, right? It's amazing. That, that doesn't make you cry. It's a happy piece. I mean, sure. it, 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 but it makes you feel. I mean, honestly, I try to listen to that every Fourth of July because it makes you feel like an American, but, um, but not in the way a patriotic song does. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, mm -hmm. it's a very different set of feelings nonetheless, but there's an appropriate response, I think, to artwork. And that's really, I think, dependent on the artist. But when you're talking about what I would call natural beauty, mm -hmm. um, I think the feeling we feel is, is different. It's, it's more like an awe, right? When, when you look at a beautiful sunset, your reaction to that's different than when you're looking at a Caravaggio, mm -hmm. right? You're, mm -hmm. you're, when you're looking at a Caravaggio, your, your, your mind is wrapped around it. You're trying to, to kind of piece it all together, figure out how it was that he made this beautiful artwork, trying to figure out what he's trying to convey with it, trying to figure out the emotions that went into it. There's a, there's, there's a certain intellectual side to that sort of feeling, but when you're standing at a sunset or when you're in the mountains late at night and you see all of the stars up and up in the sky um that that sense of awe i think that's closer to what you feel when you're when when you see a intensely beautiful person mm -hmm. or when you when you're sitting next to a a beautiful soul you feel that awe and i think that awe is almost more a response to goodness than yeah. it is to beauty i i think it's yes and love and i'll tell you the one i just had a few days ago was holding my grandson, our first grandchild, for the very first time. He was two months old. So you're holding this eight-pound little man and just looking, you know, who's completely helpless, completely vulnerable, and you're looking at his face, and he's looking up at you, and he's looking around, and he's just absolutely beautiful, right? He's he just he, and you you're ama you're just amazed, you're awestruck. 
with, and I'm sure you guys had that experience with your own children. Um, but just that it, it's almost indescribable and it's an overwhelm. It's both. It was, it was really kind of an encounter with God, like God's glory is kind of his God's beauty is shining through mm-hmm. this precious little, precious little human being in my arms. And the, it's evoking love. Yeah, and evokes love, and maybe, and that, and that is a very, that is very deep because I didn't have that experience with my own children. My own children were seven when I adopted them, so I never had the whole baby face. I don't have a so now, you know, he's got a poopy diaper. Did that really take away from the aesthetic value? Not really, not even that, right? So uh, it just, and then he would hold my pinky with his little hand, and he'd kick his legs, and um, it, it just is just. A, 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 an experience of beauty and love and goodness. Um, and it, it went, it's, sh- it's beyond, it's beyond him too. Mm-hmm. It's clearly more than just his physical biochemical presence, right? There's something a lot more there than just uh, molecules. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think when that sense is lacking in somebody, um, so, you know, if, 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 if you and I went to an art museum and we looked at Caravaggio and we disagreed and I said, yeah, okay, it's, it, it's a good painting, but it's not like the most perfect painting in the world. And you said, absolutely not. It's the most, you and I would have a, a good hearted disagreement about it. We, we, we would recognize we disagreed. We might be able to talk about how we disagreed about it. But any sort of type of moral aspersions wouldn't really play into right. it, unless we were just being complete jerks about right, it. Right. Um, but an aesthetic experience of of something that's sublime, like what we've been talking about, of, of holding a baby or, or looking at a, a beautiful sunset or looking at the stars in the sky, if somebody doesn't appreciate those things... There's something, I mean, I think everybody kind of recognizes there's something off. There's something wrong with that person not to... Something missing. Exactly, yeah. not to have those experiences. So I, I want to add to the definition then that, that absolute beauty is something that points to the mystery beyond the actuality of the thing in, in itself. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I think like any good transcendental, you know... Um, beauty has to beauty cannot exist for itself you know a sunset is just a sunset uh but it has to point to the mystery and i think that's the glory of beauty is that it points to the mystery that it's trying to unveil which is why it elicits an emotional response for people which is why there's such an attraction to it because we have this desire to know we have this desire for truth and so when you lift that veil just a little bit to see behind it, it points to something more, and that's God. And so in any beauty experience, we look at the beautiful woman, we say, this person who's created in God's likeness and image is showing just a glimpse of the beauty of God. Yeah, I think, you know, I think looking at God as an artist, you know, we Keep, we we have lots of analogies for God, and so you know we'll look at uh, God as like the the craftsman that the, that makes the universe. But if you look at him as a, a painter, right, mm-hmm. or or a a composer that that has composed it, then the meanings that have been put into nature and natural beauty convey the goodness of God. But if you look at a beautiful artwork, right, if you look at something that's created by a person, 
the beauty that's conveyed, the, the, the meaning that's conveyed may or may not be goodness. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, that, that's why I think beauty has to be kind of separated from goodness a little bit because sure. what can be conveyed through beauty may not always be good. I mean, I think there's some, I think there are some beautiful pieces of work that all ultimately point to something bad. Um, I think you can, you can portray vice in a very, very beautiful way, which, you know, when, when you were talking about the difference between the angels, well, I don't know about that. Like what? Well, okay. When you take your baptismal vows, for instance, right? Mm -hmm. Your baptismal vows, you, you, you swear off of the charms and what was it? I I forget the exact wording of it, but basically the kind of glamour, the the glamour, the, the, the charms and glamour of evil, right? So evil, Evil can be wrapped in beautiful packages is kind of what what that's saying. And and often it is. I mean, I, I think evil entices. Evil is attractive. Uh, you know, you were getting at indeed. that. Yes. And, and angels and the goodness of God are awe-inspiring, right? They, yes. they, they, they create this sort of... They create fear. ...awe-filled off, fear yeah. where the demons... You know, demons aren't always ugly. No, know? no. And, Demon, so the demonic it has to be attractive. That's the only way that uh, that they they can lure. You know, they take a sliver of truth. And anytime somebody has an experience of the angelic, what's the first thing that they say? Don't don't be afraid. It's right. because the the interlocutor is scared half to death. You know, Daniel fainted when he encountered uh, the angelic. But so we're talking about this experience of beauty. I think if if we were to look at the Empire State Building, I don't think anybody can look at that and say, oh, that's that's an ugly building. It, it may not be your style, but it certainly has a particular beauty to it. But if you put it next to uh, you know, the Cathedral of Notre Dame in Paris, you know, they're two very different styles, but one elevates man and one elevates God. Right. Yeah, there there are meanings that are put into to artworks, and and there I think their moral value comes from those meanings. I think their aesthetic value comes from how well those meanings can be conveyed, mm-hmm. right? So, I mean, that's why you can have I think very beautiful pieces of artwork of very evil things, right? Sure. Yeah. You know, the, the the textbook definition is: Can you really make a beautiful crucifix, right? I mean, hmm. crucifixion is about as ugly a thing as you can imagine. Yeah. Can you really have a beautiful crucifix? And yet, I think kind of almost the answer is yes. Yeah, I was going to say the you know that that's almost the um, the the holy grail of Christian art is right. to convey a beautiful crucifix. Right. Yeah, but so, what wait, what makes a um, what makes the crucifix beautiful though isn't the isn't the gory detail. It's it's the moral it's the moral quality of the act of crucifixion being the way in God. which. Yeah, being right. being the means by which we're saved. Yeah. That's what makes the crucifix right. beautiful. Right. The theme itself so, the theme itself is morally good. But trust me, I've seen some really ugly crucifixes. I mean, and there there are ways to portray a crucifix in a very ugly way. On the other hand, I've seen some gorgeously beautiful crucifixes. But I'm not sure either of them detracts or adds to the moral value of God's salvation. In, in general, one way or the other. But that, ex- that, that aesthetic experience of it is very different. And with that, we'll wrap it up for the Catholic Cave for this week. For Timothy O'Donnell, for Joseph Masian, and for Mark Tuttle, I'm Kent Lampert. Until next time, be holy. The Catholic Cave is a production of Catholic Radio Indy. Replays of this program are available in podcast form at catholicradioindy.org. 
Comments about this program can be addressed to Kent at catholicradioindy.org or by calling 317-870-8400. Did you miss something in this show or just want to hear it again? Podcasts of this and all our other great local programs are available 24-7 at catholicradioindy.org.